Welcome to Only Trying to Help, the podcast where we try to help you be helpful to other people. My name is Kate Watson, and I've brought on a friend who I've known for so long. I hardly ever see you, almost never, but uh, I would like to fix that. I would like to see you more. I'm here with my friend Randy, who I know because we studied abroad together. So although we don't live that far apart, I met you in Spain, which is always kind of funny to me. Um, and I have loads of questions for you, but I just want to start with, could you please introduce yourself to us? Sure. Hi, my name is Randy Rubin. I am a mom of three wild and crazy kids, and I am a director of respiratory therapy. Do you have a favorite kid? (laughs) (laughs) The dog. (laughs) Yeah. Really, really wise answer. Yeah. I like it. They all tied for third. (laughs) Uh, that's perfect. And, you know, I wanted to have you on because you are this fantastic mom of three kids. And even though I don't get to see you very often and I'm not a part of the day to day, sometimes I feel like I am because I see what you share with us on social media. And I always feel so lucky to know you uh, and so lucky to know a person in particular who's open about the ups and downs of life, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I, I thought about you when I was thinking about the, the podcast this season, because I thought, you know, I'd love to have on a parent who is really open about, you know, some of the tough stuff in, in her family. And one of the things I was curious about, Randy, is like in this world where people tend to get on social media and only show the good parts of their lives. What inspires you to share with us about some of those ups and downs that your family has been through? How do you do that? You know, I think that sometimes when I read Facebook posts of friends or acquaintances, I think, how can their life really be so perfect? And then I thought about it, and I looked back at some of the posts that I was putting up over the years. And if anyone had been following me, they would have thought that my life was perfect too. And I didn't like that because everyone has problems in life. And if you don't talk about these problems, how can we fix these problems? How can we address these problems? And so it really started with me um, figuring out that I had a child with challenges. And if I don't share his challenges, how can I expect other people to accept him if I don't educate? Um, And by sharing some of his challenges, I've met other people who have children with the same issues and we've shared doctors, we've shared medications, we've shared so many things that have really helped me help my child. And I hope that, for example, for me doing this, that I'm going to reach out to somebody and help them. Yeah. I, I hear you saying that like all that you've gained from this, that, that it's been a big win. Um, you've gotten connections, you've made friends. It sounds like you're saying you actually feel like a better parent by putting yourself out there and, and 
and kind of rolling the dice on this, like risking maybe a little overexposure, but what you've been able to gain from it, you seem to be really happy with that. Have you ever had a regret? Like maybe I overshared? I never had a regret. Initially, when um, when we first started experiencing issues with my son and I started to share on social media, um, my parents from their generation, everything was very hush hush when it came to mental health. And they were very against me sharing so much about my son on social media. And it was, um, it was difficult to get them to see the other side. They were nervous that other parents wouldn't want their children to play with my son. Um, so I didn't have any regrets per se, but I was a little hesitant when they brought up that perspective. But I think overall, um, the only way to uh, make progress is to be a little uncomfortable with some of the decisions you make. And, um, and that's what I chose to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I might've thought like, Oh, maybe Randy's parents taught her to be this brave and this bold, but from your story, it wasn't your parents. So like, where do you get this from? Like who, who has inspired you or what has inspired you or how are you so brave? Because I think a lot of us would be pretty nervous to kind of open up the, the family, you know? Yeah. So my whole life, I've been essentially a caregiver. Um, from a very young age, I would say preschool or kindergarten, my best friend had a Jewish genetic disease called familial dysautonomia. And I used to help take care of him. We'd be sitting at meals and we'd have to, he'd have to have a tube feeding for his liquids and I'd be pouring it in for him. I'd be carrying his backpacks around, you know, around school, his books. Um, and so I always had it in me to help other people and to care for other people. And I think that just followed me through my life. It's, I mean, it's why I became a respiratory therapist. I help people who are sick. Um, and mental health is an illness. And, um, and so I think that's just what inspired me to, to do this. Um, and so far it's going well. Yeah. And I know you've met a lot of parents um, who are going through maybe not the exact same thing that you're going through, but, but they, they feel a connection to you. You feel a connection to them. You know, I'm a big believer that parents are always doing the best they can. And so when I ask questions like what can parents be doing to be more supportive, it's not to suggest that they're doing anything wrong, but just, I, I know parents out there are probably listening, wondering what more could I do? What more could I do? And so to the parents out there, who may have a kid who's struggling with mental health or something, even if it's a physical health problem, what do you think parents could be doing maybe to be a bit more supportive of their kids' mental, emotional struggles? I would say never stop advocating for your child. Sometimes I think um, people stop advocating when, let's say, a school system says they don't, their child doesn't need an IEP or doesn't need a 504 because let's say their scoring on their testing doesn't show that they have enough disability. Well, that's not okay. And there's other ways to have supports in the classroom, for example, without having a significant delay in academics. There's something called other health impairments. You can have an IEP or a 504 for ADHD or for anxiety. It doesn't always have to be that you have a significant academic delay. And I think that's a really big misunderstanding. And sometimes when a child gets tested in a school, 
sometimes parents are really happy to hear that there's no academic delay. Sure, that's great. You know, nobody wants their child to have an academic delay, but that doesn't mean that they don't still need services and need supports. And oftentimes I feel that school districts will may say, no, your child doesn't need X, Y, Z, because it does cost more money for the school district um, to implement services. Um, and so I just think um, it's nice to accept, it's nice to hear that your child doesn't need services or that they're academically not delayed, but that doesn't mean they don't still need support and you should never stop advocating for your child to get what you feel they need. I think that's really well said. I've, I've met a lot of parents who are hesitant about even like having their child assessed, uh, tested. They are so worried about labels. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm actually beginning to think there's like a little bit of a generational divide here. I, I think there is a generation who is terrified of my kid being labeled something. And then I think there's a younger generation. Um, we might be on the older end of that younger generation, but I think, uh, I think there's a younger generation that appreciates that like that label might grant your child access to things that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. And I do believe whoever, what, whoever and whatever, whatever the parent may be saying, I, I believe parents are well-meaning, um, but, but they, they're, despite their well-meaning attempts to help their child, if they have this innate fear of the label, that could really get in the way, don't you think? I do, I do. And I, I agree because over the years, my son has had many labels added to him. And it got to the point where I just said, you know what? I don't care what the label is. You can call my son a purple elephant. Just tell me what purple elephants need to succeed, right? So oh. you can tell me he has X, Y, Z. I don't care what the diagnosis is. What do I need to do to help him? What therapies are there? What medications are there? What special schools are there? You know, anything that can help my son is what I want to do, regardless of what the label is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like parents will say, uh, some parents, not all, some parents will say, you know, I'm afraid of my child getting a label because someone else might mistreat them based on this label. Um, but without the label, they might be missing a treatment entirely. Uh, so it's a, it's a complicated matter, I know. Not one that you and I will solve today, I'm sure, but, but I do hear that a lot. Um, you know, I've mentioned how I think some of that fear maybe comes from a good place. Um, this whole podcast, all 10 seasons of it has all been about well-meaning people sometimes misstepping and doing something that could potentially cause more harm. Um, what are some other things that maybe you've noticed in your interactions with other parents or even in educators where maybe you've noticed like a person meant well, but perhaps they're not actually serving their child the way they intend to any ideas? So I think that sometimes parents um, may not have accepted that their child have, has an issue um, and maybe has not even accepted the fact that their child needs testing. Um, they don't want to know or, or they think that, you know, their child will outgrow it or, you know, they're, they're, it will take a year of school and then they're going to get used to going to school. Um, whereas it could be, let's say, separation anxiety. You know, um, I think parents are just afraid of the diagnosis. And so I think, you know, like you said, 
accepting that there may be an issue may open doors to treatment or therapy or, or um, answers that they may not have until they open their minds. I think parents are very afraid of what other people may think. Some parents may be afraid of what other people may think. Um, but if we just continue to talk about it and educate, I feel like we, we can make progress. Um, it's no different than, uh, for example, my son has Tourette syndrome, right? Um, and he may tick in class and it may be a vocal tick. And if the children there don't know what Tourette syndrome is, they may make fun of my child. And I can't blame them because sometimes it's a funny noise, right? So they may laugh. But if I have, for example, the New Jersey Center for Tourette Syndrome come and do a presentation for the class on what Tourette Syndrome is and why my son makes noises, I can pretty much guarantee you that nobody's going to make fun of him or mock him or laugh at him because they're going to understand why he's making those noises. So accepting that your child may have an issue will open the doors to lead them to success that they may not get to without you opening your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I've been nodding along. I, I, I have been reading the last couple of years. There's this field of study called information aversion. Like people are just sort of afraid of knowing. Um, and it's why people don't get HIV tests or they don't get colonoscopies. Well, there's lots of reasons people don't get colonoscopies, but, <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? Like they're, uh, people will have COVID symptoms and not take a COVID test. Like they just don't want to know. Um, and I, I think somewhere in there is kind of what you're talking about. I think some people have a fear of knowing things, um, but then they also have a fear of the unknown. Uh, it's like this weird paradox where if we were just less afraid of knowing, we might be less afraid in general. Um, oh, well, you know, again, problems for us to solve another day, perhaps. And I, I'll just add to that, you know, it also opens doors to resources, for example, and like I mentioned, my son with Tourette syndrome, it opened the door to this community of people who have children with Tourette syndrome. And now annually, we get to go on these tick retreats, and they get to spend time with other children who are exactly like them. And they build bonds and see that they're not the only one. So I think that's really important too. Right, right. That that label that so many parents would be like, yikes, don't label my kid. That label got him access to a tick retreat and loads of friends and great memories and pictures for the family photo album and all the things that families want for their kids. So I love, I love hearing about that. Um, you know, and I always say, and I know, I know you'll agree because you've been, you've been saying this all along. It's like, no one deserves to suffer. Just, no one deserves to suffer. If your kid had a broken arm, you would want to go get that diagnosed broken. <laughs> uh, if your kid had a, a heart problem, you would want to go get that diagnosed. Um, and I just, I worry when parents, I shouldn't pick on parents. I worry when people think that it'll just go away if we just ignore it. And, and then in the meantime, people, and in this case, children are suffering. No one deserves that. I agree. I always say, if you have diabetes, you take medicine for diabetes. If you have a, a heart arrhythmia, you take medication to prevent the heart arrhythmia. If you have anxiety, why aren't you taking anything to help your anxiety? Right? So, I mean, there's definitely techniques to manage anxiety without taking medications, and you can try those first. But if a doctor thinks that you need uh, medication to treat your anxiety, why not? Why suffer? 
Yeah. And to your point about, you know, maybe kids will make fun of my kid. Like, okay, when I was a kid, uh, the, the kid in gym class with an inhaler probably did get picked on a little bit. But were those parents going to send them to gym class without an inhaler when the kid has asthma? No. If your kid has asthma, they're going to gym class with an inhaler and they might get picked on for having an inhaler. That's life. They need the inhaler. Uh, and yet somehow with mental health, it's more like, well, I don't want them to get picked on. So let's just ignore it. And then a child is suffering. Um, no one should suffer. Randy, what else would you like our listeners to know about kids, about parents, about mental health, keeping in mind that our listeners tune in because they are big hearted people. They care about people. They just want to be doing the right thing. And sometimes they don't know what to do. Anything else you think they should know um, on this topic? I think we need to listen to our children. We always want our children to listen to us. But I really think we need to listen to our children, read their body language, um, you know, have dinner together at the, at the kitchen table. And don't just say, how was your day at school? Ask specific questions. You know, who did you eat lunch with today? Who did you play with at recess? What did you play? If you just ask them, how was your day at school? And they say good. Well, it may not really be good. It's the same thing as when you pass someone in the hallway at work and you say, how are you? And you pass and you say, good. Your kids are going to do the same thing, right? Um, ask them questions. And it doesn't necessarily have to be all as a family, but maybe one-on-one, -on -one, you know, before bedtime, just go and talk to them, be open with them, ask them questions, let them ask you questions. Um, I think that's really important that we listen to them because sometimes in those moments, that's when they share their feelings or their experiences that they had or something that bad that happened or someone that said something to them that they didn't like or that hurt their feelings. And if we don't make that time to listen to them, they're not going to make that time to tell us. I love that. Um, you know, and I can imagine, I'm kind of making this up, but I can imagine a parent doing that and a kid still says, nothing. I don't know. I got nothing to say. And I can imagine that parent might say, see, this is pointless. I, I'm not going to do this anymore. They, they don't tell me anything. They don't want to talk. I say, keep doing it anyway. Because even if your child still time and time again, continues to say, I don't know. I, I can't remember. Uh, I'm not sure. At least they're learning from you that you care. Um, at least they know you're interested and that matters someday when they do have something to say, they're going to know my mom or my dad really cares. And I now know I have someone I can go talk to. I agree 100%. I can't tell you how many times I've said to my son, how was your day at school? And he said, good. I said, oh, really? I didn't stop there just because he said it was good. I said, what was good about it? And he didn't have an answer. So I would say, well, who did you play with at recess? And he would tell me, or, you know, sometimes he would even say somebody made fun of him. I said, well, that's not good. So you said your day was good, but maybe some part of your day wasn't so good. Let's talk about that, you know? Um, so don't accept just a one word answer from your children. Make a conversation, ask questions. You, you need to get it out of them because they're not going to, they're not going to share it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I'm learning now that there are more little kids in my life that, um, and it sounds so obvious when I say it out loud, every listener is going to be like, I can't believe you didn't know that. But I'm realizing little kids really don't know how to have conversations. 
and and you actually have to teach that skill. And um, it explains why some adults also don't know how to have conversations. Maybe nobody taught them that skill. But I realize when you ask a little kid, how was your day? And they say, fine. And then they have nothing else to offer. It's not that they're being rude. They're not being brats. They just don't know how to do the back and forth conversation that a lot of us know how to do. And so we might have to encourage that along. Definitely. I can tell you, I mean, the texting that happens from my daughter when she's downstairs and I'm in the other room, instead of coming and talking to me, she's sending me a text, right? So they, they forget how to communicate face to face because their heads are always in devices. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely good things about technology and that sort of stuff, but it definitely has changed the way humans interact with each other. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Can we do this again, but next time record in Spain where we first met? Oh my God, I would love that. (laughs) Live from Barcelona, Kate and Randy. um, You know, I cannot promise anyone that I could do it in Spanish. That that that's not going to happen. But uh, (laughs) but maybe with a little sangria, you know. (laughs) I'm in anytime. You tell me when I'll be there. Okay. I can just imagine a totally spontaneous text like, hey, Randy, I'm heading to the airport. I'm catching the next flight. We need to continue our conversation about kids and mental health. And the only place I can think to do it is in Barcelona. (laughs) Right on the Ramblas. Right there. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Randy. And, And perhaps we really will do this again, whether it's in Barcelona or not. But I really appreciate it. You, you already do this, but what you just did for us, you already do this online all the time. Um, really, my request was that you, you make yourself available to the only trying to help audience. And I, I know they're going to benefit from this. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having me.